You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Holt at the River. I want to minister to you tonight on we are created to overcome. Say it with me, I was created to overcome. You in athletics, one of the things that is key if you're going to develop your talents or skills within yourself is that you have to believe that you can do better. You have to believe that you can win. If you stop believing you can win, uh, you'll be on the sidelines. You won't be to the place God wants you to be. And so that is an essential thing. In Christianity, it's the same thing. You have to have that overcoming spirit where you believe you can overcome. And if you ever lose that, you will degrade and you will not grow spiritually because God did not put a losing spirit within you. He put a winning spirit within you. And that spirit I want to bring out tonight. I want to look at a few verses here. The first one I want to look at is Psalms 8. And this is the NIV translation. And it's a very powerful translation. And it's talking here about what God says about creation of man. And look what it says. It says, you have made him a little lower than God. Now notice that's different than some of your translation says, you've made man a little lower than angels. Now they get that from the Septuagint translation, which is the translation of the Old Testament uh, in Greek. But it was originally written in Hebrew. And it should be translated God because it's the word Elohim, which is used exclusively for God, never used for angels in any way, shape, or form. Amen? So it says, yet you have made him a little lower, talking about man, then God. You have crowned him with glory and majesty. Now watch the next verse. You make him rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Now, David was totally blown away that in the order of things, when God created man, uh, angels are not above us, they're under us, and we're just under God. Say amen, we're under God. That means that God's purpose of man is that we would have dominion, that man would have dominion over the situations that they're facing in their life, and that evil would not reign in this world that we live in. In other words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The purpose of the church is so that righteousness will reign on this earth. Amen? I want to start with that because sometimes people think that angels are above us. They are in the sense physically they are stronger, but spiritually they are our servants. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that angels or excuse me chapter one tells us that angels are servants of those who are heirs of salvation a servant is not over the one that he takes care of amen and so i wanted to to put that out because sometimes we miss the significance of these verses because you can't be an overcomer if you believe you're under everything you believe is that too many Christians are being overcome by the problems in our culture. Their faith is not raising up to the occasion where we begin to believe for what God has for us. And it's really a position, spiritual, spiritually in your life that you need to step into as a believer concerning your life. I heard this story years ago. It was in the Philippines. And there was a young boy that wanted to cross the street in the Philippines in the Philippines at this particular time, they had these little towers, and the police officer would sit on top of the t- tower, and he would direct traffic. Well, the little boy couldn't get across the street because the traffic was so thick, and uh, he just couldn't get there. Anyway, d- while he's trying to figure out how to get across the street, there's an accident. 
police officer climbs down off the tower, goes over and tends to the accident, and this little boy decides, oh, I got an idea, and he runs up into this little tower, puts out his hand, and all the cars stop, then he climbs down off the tire and runs across the street. Because he recognized the position. That position put him in a place of authority. And whatever you're going through right now in your life, understand that your position in Christ has put you in a position of authority over whatever is trying to destroy your family, whatever is trying to destroy your health, whatever is trying to shipwreck your finances, you have authority over that you just have to realize it's in Christ it's in him it's his authority but it's inside of you amen, amen. it's no longer I that liveth but Christ that liveth in me and so when you begin to evaluate that and look at that things begin to change in your life and you begin to realize wait a minute God didn't create me to lose created me to win he didn't create me to be on a lower level he created me to be on a higher level of his blessings. Now, what I want to do is I want to show you a story of a man by the name of Job who God had put a hedge of protection around him. And I want to talk about that hedge of protection because there is a hedge of protection that God will put around his people if they're in faith for it. And I want you to take a look, if you would, in Job chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. We're not going to read the whole incident, but I want to show you something that the devil said concerning Job and concerning why he didn't have access into his life. Now, Satan has appeared before God. He's arguing the case with Job. And it says, so Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. I want you to notice the word there where it talks about made a hedge. It's actually one Hebrew word for it. It means a fence or something that is used to keep something in or keep something out. Let me describe it to you this way. Jesus said Satan climbed over the fence to get to the sheep. In other words, in the Bible, what a shepherd would do oftentimes at night to protect the sheep is he would uh, uh, build a rock fence around the feast the, the sheep to keep the animals out sometimes he would uh, keep the sheep in a cave with himself and in fact some shepherds would lay at the door of the of the cave to keep animals out so they wouldn't prey on the the lambs and the sheep and one of the other ways they did is they would build a fence especially in the middle east out of thorn bushes and the thorn bushes would keep the 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 you know the animals out from killing the the sheep so when you talk about a hedge you're talking about keeping the devil out but you're also about keeping god in amen but now here's where it gets really wild in the bible when you had a city or a fortress that people could not defeat it was always the same they would build a hedge or a wall around the city made out of stone 
and the opposing armies couldn't break through it and so people in the city felt secure they had a hedge about them per se but what they would do and this is how they would defeat them is every city had a viaduct that came out of the city and so water would come in either from outside the city into the city or, or vice versa and there was water that would go under this huge wall and what the enemy would do is block up the the water and the and then the the viaduct area would dry up and they would go literally inside or under the wall of the city and destroy the wall or the foundation of the city until the wall fell down or fell inward on itself they destroyed the cities by destroying the foundation now in america today we have this similar situation uh there are people trying to destroy the foundation of america but the devil is very active within us say amen trying to destroy the foundation that you stand on which is Christ Jesus and what he tries to do is stop the flow of the Holy Spirit in your life because you begin distant from the Holy Spirit and you lose that refreshing and then he also will try to destroy your foundation and if he can try to destroy your foundation he can uh, bring down the hedge that is upon your life say amen everybody now there's power in this because Job, it says, was one of the richest men in the East. And he was that way because God put a hedge around him. No matter what the devil tried to do, couldn't get in. The hedge had to be taken down before it. But the Bible tells us that, he, that his children had their own homes, own wealth, and they would have birthday parties or whatever and not invite dad to the birthday party, which is very suspicious. And Job was very suspicious that what they were doing was evil and wrong. And it said that he offered sacrifices all the time on their behalf because he said, surely uh, I'm doing this because perhaps my children have cursed God and they'll die because of that. And he offered a blood sacrifice. Say blood sacrifice. A blood sacrifice was the way in which in the Old Testament God would put a hedge around your life. In other words, God would take the blood of an animal and it was shed, which pointed to Christ, and it would, uh, it, it would, it, God would cover a person's sins and he would put a hedge of protection around him because of the blood. We see the same thing when God delivered Israel out of Egypt. You remember the death angel was coming down and he says, I want you to put blood from the lamb on the doorposts, on the side and on the top, not on the bottom because we don't tread under feet the blood of Jesus. Amen? But the death angel came and had to pass by every home that had blood on the doorstep. Same thing happened uh, when David had numbered Israel and judgment came on them and uh, he offered up a sacrifice. And when he did, the angel that had come to just kill the people put his sword back in his, in his thing and, and, and did not harm the people in, in Jerusalem because of the blood of that sacrifice. Say amen. They overcome by the blood of the lamb. 
It's the blood of Jesus that brings a hedge around us and protects us and guards our family and guards our life. It's the blood of Christ. I love it, praise God, to know that Jesus Christ is my Savior. He's looking after me and that he puts a hedge around me because I have been covered by the blood of Jesus in my life. That's awesome and powerful, and it really works. I remember talking to Ken Gobb, and, and uh, one time he was about ready to get on an airplane, and the Lord said, do not get on this airplane. Now, Ken, I asked him about it, and he says, I said, was it, you know, was it clear? And he says, yes, the Lord told me specifically not to get on this airplane. So he doesn't get on the airplane, and so he gets books another flight, and that airplane took off and crashed and killed everybody on that airplane. And he would have been one of the statistics that died if he had not listened to the Lord. Now, when I minister into this today, some of you have wayward children. Some of you have people in your life that you love, that you know are going down the wrong path. And the fear in your life of them dying without being right with God is constantly attacking you. And this is exactly what happened to Job. It was the fear of his children perishing because of ungodly behavior. And he kept offering of the sacrifice of blood, but the reality was is that he was in fear and not faith, and it, and, and it, fed, and it left an opening. The Bible says that Job said afterwards, that which I have greatly feared has come upon me. So he admits he had great fear in this area. And what I want to say to some of you here today is this. One of the best things that you can do when you have someone you love that's going the wrong path is to pray that God would put a hedge of protection around them so that they will not be in the wrong place at the wrong time that their life could be terminated. In fact, I'll give you a verse for it. You can just write it down as a reference. You can find this in Lamentation chapter 3, verse 7. It says, He hedged me in so I cannot get out. He made a chain heavy. In other words, uh, put them in a situation where they're unable to put themselves in harm's way. Pray for them. Ask God to protect them. Say amen, everybody. You know, we've got people we love that we don't want to see go down the wrong path and, and, and their life be extinguished before their time comes and, and nobody should die at a young age. Amen. And so God wants you to understand that the hedge is put on by the blood of Jesus, by the fact that he forgave you of all your sins, by the fact that the blood cries out in heaven, mercy, 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 mercy towards his people and towards you. Psalms 34, 7 says, the hedge is, it's, it's a hedge of protection of an angelic force. Angels are the hedge. God encamps his people with angels. And let me say this about angels. Everybody that's born has a guardian angel, but sometimes different people will be encamped with angels to protect them. 
Like, for instance, the ministry of Elijah. He's up on the mountain there. The enemies come around and surround him, and his servant goes out and says, man, there, there's all these people. We're going to perish or whatever. And Elijah lays his hands on him and asks God to open up his eyes. And he looks at the servant, and he sees all these chariots of fire and says and, and realizes there's more of them than them, and the fear is gone. Amen? But that's because he saw it. You know, coming to church is not about getting a further education in the Bible. It's about getting revelation in what you need in your life. Revelation is when you can see something that you couldn't normally see without spiritual help, where God reveals to you something beautiful. Now, remember this about Job. Job is one of the oldest books in the Old Testament. It was written hundreds of years before the law was given. There wasn't the instruction of the five books of, of, um, of Moses until hundreds of years later. So here's a guy, Job, during the time frame of like with Abraham, that doesn't have the law, doesn't have all that. He's lacking knowledge. He's lacking revelation. The Bible says that in Hosea 4, 6, that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. He couldn't go to the book of Proverbs and read, death and life is in the power of the tongue. He couldn't read in there in the book of Revelation chapter 12, verse 12, where it says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren, accuses them before God day and night. Uh, he can't read in Timothy where it says that Jesus is the mediator between God and man. There was no mediator. There was no revelation. And so Satan was able to get into his life because there was a lack of knowledge. He didn't even know about the promise. And Leviticus says that if someone steals from you, you got to pay them, they got to pay it back double. Look at the verse. Put it up on the screen. Leviticus, quick. Leviticus. I'm waiting. Okay. Let me, uh, maybe I give them the wrong one. Exodus. I'm terribly sorry. It's my fault. Exodus uh, 22. If the sun has risen on him, there shall be guilt for his, the bloodshed. He should be, make full restitution. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for a, a thief. Now, in that particular verse, notice he goes on, and if the thief is certainly found alive in his hand, whether it is an ox or a donkey or sheep, he shall restore double. Say double. Uh, Proverbs talks about sevenfold, just means full. Here's the point I want you to see. Job didn't have that. He didn't have the revelation that even Satan was the one attacking him. Remember he said after he was attacked, the Lord gives, the Lord taketh away. He didn't have no revelation. All he knew was God. Now, we know it's the devil because it's written later about it, but at the time he did it, he didn't know it. Now, here's the power of this. Because it was a lack of knowledge that prevented him from keeping the hedge up around his life because he didn't realize that death and life is in the power of the word because he kept saying he kept saying you know my kids are, are going to curse God and die he kept saying that he kept saying that and he cursed his own field if I could say it that way 
But he didn't even know it was God. He didn't know it was Satan. He, th he thought maybe it was just God was the, the one that was doing it all. Now, here's the revelation that he got that brought the double portion. You remember at the end of the story, or let's say before the end of the story, three of his friends come up and said, Job, here's the problem, man. You got sin in your life. I know you don't see it, but it's got to be there or this wouldn't happen to you. And then he, did, he went beyond that. He said, he said, they said this, well, uh, you know, this is happening in your life because of pride. And so all three of his friends were guessing at why it happened. And they were all wrong. They were all wrong. It wasn't until the end of the book that God appears to, to Job or speaks to Job out of a whirlwind and talks to him about Lephiathan. Look it up for yourself. You know what Lephiathan is? It is, a, it is a symbol of Satan. It is a dragon with four heads. The same dragon spoke of in the book of Revelation. And God gives him a revelation that it is Satan that has come against you. And once he gets that revelation, it's Satan. He repents, and then God has one other thing he has to do so that the covering comes back. He has to uh, pray for his friends that misrepresented God when they talked to him. And here's the catcher. The friends bring an animal sacrifice to Job. He didn't have any animals to sacrifice. They were all taken by the devil. And they brought animals to him, and he offered up these sacrifices, and the blood was shed again, and the heads came back on, and the Bible said he got double for his trouble, and he became twice as wealthy and blessed as he was before, but he didn't have a revelation like we have. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. You want to overcome? Understand your enemy enemy is not God it is the devil it is the power of darkness it is the wickedness in this world it hasn't got anything to do with fallen angels it has everything to do with evil that the fallen angels are promoting and God has delivered us from it praise God and I don't know about you but I just preach myself plum happy hallelujah because God is a God of deliverance he's a God that overcomes he's a God that wants to see his children rise up in their position of dominion rise up in their position of, of victory, praise God, and declare the works of the Lord. Can someone help me out tonight? Come on, church. So when you read that story, it comes alive when you realize he didn't have the revelation we had. Soon as he did, he could fight the good fight of faith. I run into so many people they, they don't know when God does something and when the devil does something. Oh, God took that child home. He needed another angel in heaven. 
give me a break. That's the most ungodly statement I've ever heard in my life. God doesn't need your child to add to the angels. He's got a, a number of angels that are un, you can't number them. He don't need to kill your child to add to the list. God's not the one that killed the child. It was a devil that killed the child. And we need to raise up and say we're going to protect our children. We're going to put a hedge around our children. We're going to see the salvation of God move mightily in our families. Wow. You got to get the fight back in you, praise God. Don't take it laying down. Fight. Fight in faith for your health. Fight in faith for your financial breakthrough. Fight in faith for it. It's devil trying to take it from you. And once you understand that, you can begin to reverse the curse that has come on you in whatever area it may be. Now, I'm going to share with you a, a wonderful truth about how to reverse something in your life that you have created out of your own mouth. You can curse yourself and take down your hedge. You can curse yourself. Now, I want to give you an example in the Bible of one of the, the experts of cursing himself. His name is Peter. Now, we know that Peter denied the Lord, and we know that in the story, when he denied the Lord, that it says that he cursed and swore. And most people think that he was exercising profanity when they asked him if he knew Jesus, but that's not what that word means in the Greek. The, Jesus, or Peter did not use profanity when he swore. It's different. Let me tell you the situation and exactly what happened. Here's Peter. He's with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you remember he boasted about the fact that he would die with Jesus? He wouldn't betray him and all that because Jesus said, you're all going to flee, whatever. And you remember they came with, a, with all the soldiers. And Jesus said, I am he, and they fell backwards. But when they came to Jesus, there was a servant there that was the servant of the high priest. Now understand that a servant of the high priest, if you touch a servant of the high priest and injure them at all, it's like a capital offense because they're servants of the high priest. This servant come up towards Jesus, and Peter cut off his ear with a sword now Jesus knelts down and uh, takes the ear and puts it back on him and he's healed whatever but why did Jesus do that if he hadn't done that they would have arrested Peter and crucified him along with Jesus and so that's the background that I want you to see from the story and so when they take Jesus he goes willingly they're not dragging him in chains he goes willingly I mean, think about it. If, if you said, I am, and, and the power of God knocks you all back, and it's not a healing meeting, I think you're going to say, could you come with us? <laughs> so Jesus went to, the, went to Calvary by his own free will. And so he goes there, and you remember, he's being tried. This is at night, and it's, you know, it's open air. It's, it's not like in our culture everything's inside this is all open air and the Jews are trying Jesus while Peter is out in a group of crowd of people along with the apostle John they never talk about John but he was there and he's in a crowd of people listening to this thing that the high priest is doing towards Jesus is sentencing him to death and someone in the crowd says 
Aren't you a Galilean? Aren't you one of the followers of Jesus to, to Peter? And Peter says, no, I'm not. And you know the story. He does this, and then it says that he swore. He swore, but he wasn't using profanity in the Greek. It's not what it means. And as soon as he denied the Lord three times, the, the rooster crowed. Remember? And Jesus looked at him, and there's old poor Peter. Devastated at what happened. But here's the, here's the truth I want you to see. The person in the crowd who recognized Jesus was a relative of the one whose ear was cut off. You find it in John's gospel. In other words, he was identified by a relative that's servant of the high priest that ear was cut off. Hey, did you hear what happened to me tonight? I, we went to rest Jesus, and uh, this guy named Peter cut off my ear, and, and Jesus healed my ear. So he's there saying, Peter, you're it. And Peter swears. Now, swearing here doesn't mean profanity. Here's what he did. What he did is he said this. He said, I swear I don't know him, and if I know him, there's going to be a curse on me. That's what it means. It means to pronounce a curse on you if what you say doesn't happen. In fact, it was the same thing that some disciples that were, or excuse me, Jewish people had towards the apostle Paul in the book of Acts. They made an oath that said, we're not going to eat until we kill Paul. We swear we'll never eat another meal until we kill Paul. That was the same thing that Peter did. He cursed himself with a curse. Now, the crazy thing about it is, is that Jesus redeemed us from the curse. But here's Peter. He cursed himself. You can imagine how bad he felt because he said he'd never deny the Lord. And he just pronounced a curse on himself. Now, here's what I want you to see. When Jesus rose from the dead, he told him, he says, Hey, I want you to go tell the disciples and Peter. I can imagine when Peter heard that message, ah, he couldn't have mentioned me, but he did. And you remember when Peter saw him after the resurrection, they were out fishing. He was out fishing, thinking he was done with the ministry when he wasn't. And Jesus said, throw it on the other side anyway. All the fish came. Peter, you know, swam to shore. And then Peter, or Jesus, asked him three times this question, do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my land. Do you love me? He grieved Peter so bad. And then he said, Lord, you know I love you. Why did Jesus have Peter say he loved him three times? He was breaking the curse that Peter had put upon himself when he swore that I don't know him. If I do, I'm cursed. And we do the same thing in our society. Parents do it all the time to children. And they think this. They think, if I just threaten them, maybe they'll change. If you don't stop what you're doing, you're going to end up in jail like your father did. 
and we threaten them and we say things like that and we don't realize we're putting a curse on them by the way we're talking about them now hear me when I say this because this is so important from the parent's perspective he's not doing that from the child's perspective they think and believe you believe they're never going to amount to anything good and it puts a curse on them so what we've got to do as a church an individual is we need to build up our kids we need to build up those that are making mistakes we need to say, I believe that God has a destiny for you. Even though you're acting crazy, I believe God's got a destiny for you. Even though you should do this, you know, God's got something for you. Even though I know that, you know, you know you've been going this wrong path, and I'm not justifying that, but God's got something good for you, and God's going to use you in some way. we got to bless people instead of curse people. we got to pull back so we got a hedge of protection around them. I, I have seen people, I've seen, I've been at few, where a young man would spit on the grave and say my father's dead to me I've seen children that are tormented by things they heard from their parents that I'm no good I'm no good I've heard counseling where they're counseling with each other and saying you know my dad told me it'd always be this way you know I've always had this weakness I've always done that and they curse themselves what we got to do is uncurse people we got to start speaking life to people we got to start speaking blessing to people because God uses the sinner come on he uses all of us all we got to do is come to him and he'll transform your life don't give up on somebody just because they're wayward don't give up on them because they're not listening keep blessing them keep blessing them keep pleading the blood over their life God look after them because once they're gone and they've died you know, if they're not saved, we know where they're going. This is what I want you to see from this. One of the greatest revelations I ever learned in the Word was the power of what I say. In other words, what I say can bless me or curse me. What I say about others can bless me or curse me. What I say about my children can bless me or curse me. And Satan will use anything he can get to get through the hedge. Anything at all. One word, anything that lets down the guard, anything that gives place to the devil, anything at all in your life, he'll use it because he hates the children of God. He knows he's destined for damnation and we're destined to glory and he can't stand it. And his whole purpose is to send as many people with him to the grave, to the dead, to death that he possibly can because he knows he's on a losing streak. Amen. Someone give God praise right now and just shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph. <laughs> Tell him how special he is. He's so awesome. Look at this verse, Psalms 11, verse 3. If the foundation are destroyed, what can the righteous do? One of our leaders made this statement. He said that he was going to fundamentally change America. Do you know what a statement like that, what it really means? When you change the fundamentals of a, of a football game, 
change the fundamentals of the rule, you change the game. It's no longer the same game. When you change the fundamental, fundamentals of America, you change its Christian heritage. You alter it. And I've been really quite frustrated about the whole thing. And I just believe in God, that God will do what he's got to do to stop this unbridledness of evil in our culture. It's so rampant, and, and it starts with this homosexual agenda that is so off the wall. It's pathetic. And I was reading an article about a guy, and I, and I was just reading on it, and I realized this guy's a homosexual. He wouldn't say this. And he took a text out of 1 Corinthians 6 where it talks about God said the homosexual not inherit the kingdom of God, the fornicator, the, the, uh, the, the adulteress, the alcoholic will not inherit the kingdom of God. And of such you were, Paul said to the Corinthians. And the guy took it and he says, you know that word homosexual, Paul kind of made a word for that. And he said this, he said, Paul wasn't talking about same-sex marriage, he was talking about male prostitutes. I just wanted to vomit. I just wanted to vomit. He didn't obviously read his Bible because if you read in Romans chapter 1, it talks about natural desire being changed for unnatural desire for a male towards a male or a woman towards a, a woman. And it's very clear. It's not talking about male prostitution. It's talking about uh, what happened in Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah. And here's the reason why there's such a push in our culture right now on this agenda that particular type of sin uh, there's a different greek word used for uh desire it's called a burning desire and that to give you a power how how powerful that desire is you remember when uh, the angels went to rescue lot out of uh sodom and gomorrah and you remember these good-looking angels came in and the inhabitants of sodom and gomorrah wanted to have sex with them and the angels blinded them. And the Bible says that they continually still tried to reach after these angels to have sex with them, even when they were blind. Why? It's a burning desire. It's a burning desire. It's not enough to be left in the closet. They want everyone to accept it. They want to change the culture. And what we got to do is rise up and say, we got the fire of the Holy Ghost that says, sin is sin and righteousness is righteousness. Hallelujah. Jesus. Anyway, I'm a little bit worked up about this. There's a power in this that we need to recognize as a church that if the church's foundation of Christ is destroyed, what will happen in the world? Church has got to preach repentance. God, church has got to preach sin. Church has got to stand up and preach what Jesus preached and not pull back because it's not acceptable with the culture. I don't care if you're offended. I don't care if you don't like it. I don't care if you take me off Facebook. I don't care because I'm going to preach the truth because God's truth is what sets us free. It's not going to be what is acceptable in our culture. It's going to be what is acceptable with God. And so there's this passion that I have preaching that people need to know the truth and the truth will set you free. Anybody that's caught up in all these sexual sins is bound by the sexual sin. They're not free. You're not free. You need free. To whom the Son set free is free indeed. 
You're not free when you can't stop drinking. You're not free when you can't get off drugs. You're not free when you, when you, when you, just, oh, come on, come on. How shall Amati seek you? You're not free. You're only free in Christ where you can do his will and what is pleasing to him. It's powerful. Praise God. And so we've got to make sure our foundation stays strong. Keep the Holy Spirit operating in your life. Stay spirit-filled. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 13. Look at this verse. I want to answer a question. How far down does God intend to bring evil? How far down does he intend to do within us? How far does he want to bring it down? Look what it says. But which of the angels has he ever said? Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Bible said Jesus is the head of the church. We are his body. In other words, God wants to put every evil thing under our feet. Every evil thing under our feet. And when you remember the story of Esther, you remember she was challenged, okay, you need to say something to the king or, or the Jews are going to be exterminated. And, and Mordecai says, you know, it's going to be dangerous, but you need to do it. And she said, well, you know, I could be killed doing this. But understand what was at stake. She had to rise up in faith. And I love what Mordecai said to her. He said, if you don't do it, God will raise up someone else, but you won't be spared, neither will your family if you don't do it. And what's so powerful about it is she went into the king. Because, see, you couldn't go into the king unannounced. You could get your head cut off to do that. She did it by faith, praise God, and went in there. And what happens when you do it by faith? Favor. You got favor. You got favor. God protects his people when they're in faith. He don't protect us when we get in fear because he needs the faith to operate in our life and be safe. Remember when Abraham made that mistake with his wife? He said, she's my sister. Well, really, physically, she was his sister. But uh, that's another message. But, but he said it also to protect himself. You remember the king took her? And then the king had a dream that night, don't you touch that woman. You touch that woman, it's going to screw up what, what God has going here. The Messiah is going to come through his seed. Don't you touch that woman. You keep your hands off that woman. God will take your enemies and he'll speak to them just to spare their life. Say you stay away from those people at the river. Don't you dare try to shut down that church because of COVID. Come on, say amen. <laughs> oh, I love this. Praise God. Anyway, I preach myself happy. You can see this right now. So happy here. But do you understand what I'm getting at? There's a power here that we need to grab hold of that God didn't call us to be defeated but to overcome. You remember the, one of my favorite verses says this, you shall be the head, not the tail. The head always leads. i never yet seen a dog walk backwards through a door. The head always leads. The church needs to lead the culture of America. It needs to lead the culture of whatever country it's in. The church needs to lead the culture. And then he said that you shall be the head only, only, 
only. In other words, I've never called you to be below. I never told you to be controlled. I never called you to be under the, the bridle of sin and Satan. I've called you to rise up above that and begin to see my, your destiny fulfilled and moving and shaking in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God wants you to rise up above it above it so that God can move in a mighty and powerful way and really bring to pass what he has. Let me do one more verse and we'll close. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And I want you to write this down before I quote it. You are not who you used to be if you're a follower of Christ. Say it with me. I'm not who I used to be. I'm not who I used to be. Come on, I'm not who I used to be. The Bible said, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. Not going to, not in the process. All things have become new. You were a sinner before, now you're a saint. You were without authority, now you're with all authority. You were unrighteous, but now you're the righteousness of God. All things that were old are gone. You're not the same way you were before. You're, you may be wearing the same old earth suit, have the same old misguided face, same old hairdo, but you are different inside. You're a new creation. You're not who you used to be. You're an overcomer. Do you understand what that means? That means that when God, when you believed on Christ, there was a spiritual resurrection that occurred within your spirit and you were raised up spiritually in Christ Jesus and you were seated in a place of dominion and power and God says, I'm going to put my Holy Spirit inside of you you were created to overcome <laughs> I know maybe you're not supposed to get this excited on Wednesday night but I, I just this is what makes the difference I'm not who I used to be I'm a different guy I'm a, I'm a God man now I'm created in the image of God Maybe I shouldn't use God, man. Anyway, I'm anointed by God. And there's a power in this, very power. In fact, I, 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 let me leave you with this one question. I wrote it down. I thought it was really good. And, and, and to me, it just kind of says it. Where are you from? Where are you from? You remember they said that about Jesus one time. They messed up. They said, who is this Jesus? Oh, Jesus of Nazareth. And they said, oh, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Well, he didn't come out of Nazareth. He came from heaven. Can you say amen? You are, you come from a long line of champions. You come from a long line of giant killers. You come from a long line of mountain movers. You come from people who have overwhelmed and, 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 or, and conquered and have been victorious in the most worst situations. That's where you come. We're, we're from above. We might be on this earth, but we're from above, and we are overcomers, and we can prevail, and we can succeed. <sighs> Woo, thank you, Lord. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Thanks for listening today. For more messages like this one, check out our podcast, River App, and our website at theriver.church. We're the river, and we're doing life together.